Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini-episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can now find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Man of Steel and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seb recommended on last week's podcast. Those were two Superman comics, Birthright and Earth One. But before any of that, let's take a look back at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. And it's hard to start anywhere else this week than with the Captain America Civil War trailer. Now, Team Cinematic Universe immediately jumps onto an email thread to discuss the look of Spidey after the trailer premiered. And I can confirm that we're all pretty much on board. In fact, very on board. We like it a lot. Um, I also particularly love Tom Holland's delivery of his two-word line, um, so that's encouraging as well. Elsewhere, it was fun to see some nods in the trailer to the first Captain America film, and from some of the ice and mountain shots in the background, I'm going to guess that some of the film's events are going to be taking place in and around the Hydra base from the first movie, or the mountains where Bucky fell. And I'm also going to start a bit of a fan theory that the reason we haven't seen Daniel Brühl's character yet is because he isn't playing Baron Zemo at all, but in fact playing the Red Skull. And you can play all of that back to me when I'm inevitably proved wrong in a couple of months' time. Moving back to Spider-Man for a moment, and a key role in the character's solo movie was cast last week, and with it came the realisation, for me that I'm losing touch with popular culture. Um, The movie, which we already know will be directed by John Watts and star Tom Holland and Marisa Tomei, um, has added Zendaya to the cast, an actress I'm so unfamiliar with, I don't know whether I just said her name correctly. So, the 19-year-old is a singer, actress and model, and will apparently play a character called Michelle. Now, Michelle may be an original character, Or maybe she's a known quantity from the comics, just hiding behind a red herring name. But with this news came something else that we're not sure on, and that was the rumour that Sony are looking to fill the film's supporting cast with predominantly non-white actors. And that news itself came not long after the news that J.K. Simmons was joining the cast of Justice League as the new Commissioner Gordon, meaning that it's unlikely, I know, I know, it's very sad, but unlikely that he'll return to play J. Jonah Jameson again. So, bit of a good news, bad news situation there, but hey, a reason to get more excited about Justice League, at least. 
Next up is the final Daredevil trailer, which, if we're being honest, is just more of the same, only with added ninjas, and that's never a bad thing. Ninjas? Ninja? Don't know the plural of that word. Um, There are a few intriguing shots in the trailer, but they don't really make a lot of sense to me without context, so I'm not going to babble on for this one too long, and instead say that the show premieres on Friday. This? This Friday? And, in fact, if you're not listening to this podcast immediately after it was released, it's probably all available on Netflix already. And if that's the case, what are you all even still listening to me for at this point? Go! Leave! Watch Daredevil! Come back, though. Uh, But if you do decide to stick around, then on a related topic, Mike Holter has announced that Luke Cage will debut on Netflix on September the 30th, so you have your date for the next time you're going to abandon me mid-podcast. And finally, some exciting news from the small screen now, with the announcement that the CW have renewed pretty much all of their shows. So that means Arrow will return for Season 5, The Flash for Season 3, and Legends of Tomorrow for Season 2. And not only that, CBS have heavily implied that Supergirl will be renewed as well when all is said and done. So, pretty much good news for superhero TV, and it's really only the fates of Lucifer, Gotham, and Agent Carter that remain undecided ahead of next year. Honestly though, Agent Carter looks almost certain to be cancelled, and the other two almost certain to be renewed, so the real unknown aspect of the superhero TV equation at this point is which of the many developing pilots will actually be ordered to series next year. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. So I had two recommendations, both from Seb this week, and they were both Superman comics. The first one is Birthright, which is from Mark Wade and Lionel Yu. And the second is Earth One, which is from J. Michael Straczynski and Shane Davis. Now, Birthright is a 12-issue thing. Um, I read the whole thing. And Earth One, I believe there are three graphic novels, three volumes at this point, and I read the first. Um, now, Seb recommended these kind of on a this is like this is the one su- one Superman origin story I really really enjoy and one I don't like so much. In fact, he says he he said that he disliked Earth One more than he dislikes Man of Steel. And if you listen to last week's episode, you'll probably know how strongly he feels about Earth One then. Um, and I'm going to start out by saying because I've kind of read quite a few Superman origin stories at this point, or at least stories that include aspects of his origin. So obviously I've seen it in two different movie versions. I've seen Lois and Clark, the definitive take. Um, Red Man of Steel on the last pod. There's a, there's a very quick version of the origin in All-Star Superman. And then obviously these two here. And to put these in context, um, I will fundamentally, to begin with, agree with Seb that Birthright is a good comic and Earth One is not, from my point of view anyway. I, I, I couldn't really get on with Earth One for a lot of reasons. Um, and Birthright, I enjoyed a lot. Seb said, I think last week, that it was his third favourite um, Superman comic behind Secret Identity, which was a previous recommendation on the podcast, um, and All-Star, All-Star Superman. And I would place it behind those two as well. I'd also, I'll be honest, so the, the last kind of Man of Steel, the comic Man of Steel, um, is the which I think was a John Byrne comic, was the last Superman origin story that was recommended. And 
I I'd also kind of find it difficult to separate Birthright too much from Man of Steel. It it, it didn't for me stand out as something hugely better or something that or something hugely more enjoyable to me. And given that it's been probably the best part of a year since I read. Um, that comic, I, I'm not confident enough to say that I preferred one or the other. So, um, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that Birthright blew me away, but I did like various aspects of it as a uh, as a Superman origin story. So um, that's the one I'm going to attack first, um, Birthright. And so this kind of this kind of picks up uh, kind of similarly to the way that. Um, Man of Steel, the movie does, in that once you kind of get the destruction of Krypton taking place kind of over the first half of the the first issue, uh, which ends with Superman's parents sending him off to Earth in a ship, um, and we we kind of flash from that to an adult Superman um, marauding around the globe, except in this situation he is in Africa, he's working as a reporter, kind of a a young journalist pre-Daily Planet days, and kind of finds himself sticking up for the little guy and struggling with trying to keep himself um, out of the limelight, keeping his powers secret, Um but also doing the right thing. And he's able to save a lot of people in that early... I think it's the first two issues where that stuff unfolds over. But he, he, is, he is also forced to confront a sense of failure and loss in there as well. And from there we go and we spend a couple of issues. Um, this is slightly different now from, from Man of Steel, probably where it diverges. Um, we spend more time in Smallville with Clark and his parents and Clark figuring out what he's going to do and having a slightly a slightly fractious relationship with his dad in terms of them having different ideas for what he will be. That's something that shows up in Birthright as well. In Always in kind of from kind of a different slant. I find it interesting that... So often, Park Kent is kind of interpreted differently um, across the across the different versions of this origin. Um, until we kind of we go to the comic, then takes you to Metropolis and Clark joining the planet, and there is a nice kind of um, homage to the um, Christopher Reeve version of Superman with um, Clark saving Lois uh, falling from a uh, from a helicopter. Um, but then Superman kind of outs himself in Metropolis, and this is the point at which the, the I, what I think is the real focus of the story here, which is the relationship between, um, not, or not even between, but kind of the the way that the character of Superman slash Clark Kent and the character of Lex Luthor kind of establish themselves as as kind of the yin and the yang of this current Metropolis on this take of Metropolis, and how they then bounce off each other and. Um, how their conflict rises. And as Seb mentioned on last week's show, this was coming out kind of in uh, when Smallville was still at its peak. Part of the story is that Clark and Lex were friends in Smallville many years ago. Um, and um, But by the time that Clark meets him again in Metropolis, Lex is kind of denying that entire part of his history. So it doesn't end up playing a huge part despite being in there, which... I. I ended up kind of liking that aspect of this, that 
there was a relationship there and it, and it did feel that when it was being explored that it wasn't just a, a dumb thing to kind of throw in there just because because sometimes I kind of hate that though you know oh, yeah oh, yeah they always knew each other these two and they're, they're destined to tangle whereas the the way that he kind of forgets Clark or dismisses Clark as someone he ever knew in the present day it informs the Lex character and it also kind of diminishes the shadow that it leaves over the rest of the thing it is more Lex is completely disinterested by Clark and completely driven to kind of usurp Superman and show him up and become kind of a kind of saviour of Metropolis himself so the, the bulk of this run involves Lex trying to construct a situation where the public don't trust Superman to the point where because he has um, access to the meteorite that came with Clark when he crashed on Earth, um, and therefore kryptonite. Um, he also, because of his intellect, is able to form some kind of um, wormhole kind of thing that allows him to see Krypton in the past and kind of see all of their designs of ships and how their culture was and is able to appropriate technology from that in the present day so he stages an alien attack on metropolis and kind of tries to imply that superman is an a kryptonian scout who has been sent to our world to kind of start off this alien attack and that they're coming to then uh finish it off and um i actually kind of really liked that idea um i thought it Set, it established Lex as such a credible villain that, and this is the moment that I always kind of know, like, um, okay, they've they've done a really good job here. Is when I'm kind of reading a character like Superman and going, Superman, you know, he can do this and he can do that and he can do the other. Um, but I'm genuinely at a point in the comic where I go, how is Superman gonna overcome this? Like, it look, it looks completely like he's beaten. And for then the story to get out of that to a point where Superman wins because it's a Superman story, um, but it doesn't seem, it, it doesn't leave me entirely incredulous. That's impressive for me, and so that that was something that this comic did. Um, I thought a lot, some of the time I felt a little bit dragged down by just the the pacing of this feeling a little bit too slow and a little bit too introspective and almost that I just didn't need this much on these aspects of a Superman origin story. And I guess it's probably, it's it's very tempting to see why DC or why anyone would want to return to the Superman origin mythos over and over again because you can make little tweaks to it and little little changes here and there and you can be informed by kind of what Superman's position in pop culture is right now when you're doing this thing um having said that the Superman story can feel so overly familiar that any changes that you make or anything that you do to make that story your own as a writer I guess that I as someone who's reading it is going okay that's different now why and it has to be a really good reason why if I'm investing my time to read 12 issues of this thing all over again. Um, and so in, in one respect, Birthright pulled that off because I read the 12 issues and, and didn't feel cheated and kind of enjoyed it. But it also didn't feel like something that I was like, oh, I kind of feel that is like an essential Superman 
origin take on the origin. It's not my favourite, and um, yeah, it, it just it just didn't completely blow me away in the way of. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I thought it would. Um, also, I kind of, I wasn't um, entirely taken with Lionel Yu's um, art here. Now, I can't remember what I said about him back when I read the ultimate wolverine versus hulk comic that he drew um but um i seem to I, I seem to think just just from having read this that maybe back then i liked it a little bit more um that maybe it felt more appropriate for those characters i didn't really like the way he drew krypton and um and it just it it just didn't completely work for me um i liked i did like his vision of superman though um, I liked I liked the way he realised the actual character in the suit, and I thought he did a good job of the kind of Clark Kent in his secret identity and Superman looking the same, but not. I think that's a lot easier to do on the page than it is in real life. Um, but uh, yeah, um, and that's something that I would contrast to the the second comic, uh, which is Earth One, which I'll move on to now, which was something that I really didn't like their realisation of what Superman looked like, or Clark that much for that matter. Um, however, I, I kind of, I, whereas in Birthright, I think more often I was kind of just not really getting on with the artwork. I think I was generally getting on with it in... Earth One, apart from when Superman was there, um, and um, I don't know whether that I, I, I don't think this is entirely down to the artwork, but I just really didn't like the Clark Kent of Superman Earth One, and it was probably the reason why I couldn't get on with the comic as a whole. Um, he's just a really douchey moody kind of kid i mean like i was reading it kind of going is this kid like 16 17 he didn't seem like a clark kent who had traveled the world and finally ended up in metropolis at the point where he is willing to kind of emerge as superman this felt like a young petulant kid who 
was kind of shirking his responsibility as Superman and only really becomes Superman in the comic because his arm is forced rather than going, I want to do this or I should do this or, you know, this is this is my destiny, this is who I want to be, this is what I'm capable of. It is, oh shit, I've actively said out loud that I don't want to be Superman I don't want to be a hero, even though that's the direction my parents have always pushed me in. But, ah, God, millions of people are going to die. I guess if I got to, I'll be Superman then. Um, And it just didn't feel really that heroic to me. And um, even aside from that, so the first kind of the, the, the kind of the start of the story is Clark arriving in Metropolis and kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do. Um, he kind of flirts with the idea of being a sports star or working in the sciences or basically because he's super smart and um, has his obviously Superman like strength and powers, he can turn himself to um, a variety of trades fairly easily. Um, There's a nice thing in Birthright that kind of explains where Superman says, he kind of describes the difference between himself and Lex Luthor. And um, he says that Lex Luthor is really smart because he's just naturally a genius. Like he's genuinely the smartest man in the world. And Clark can never compete with that because the only reason that Clark is smart is because he can read books really quickly. And I kind of liked that idea. I liked that idea that kind of Clark knew he was cheating in a way and that he acknowledged that there was a guy out there who was legitimately smart, whereas he was just he was just smart by good fortune. And I, I think that probably informed the way that I looked at Clark when I got around to reading Earth One, which is, well, yeah, of course he's naturally clever. Of course he can do sciencey stuff and businessy stuff and obviously he's naturally athletic so he can do sports um and so do maybe trying to do those things in the first place felt like a bit of a cheat for me and he kind of ends up at the daily planet and gives some of his articles to perry white and perry white is the first kind of person who says to him "Uh, i mean this is fine but you're not really good enough because i guess writing is a skill that to some extent, you've either got or you haven't, and you can't just learn to be a good writer from books, and obviously your athleticism isn't going to help you here. So it wasn't something that he could cheat at doing. He had to kind of work at it. Um, his immediate reaction in this comic is to not, um, and to just give up and walk away in a bit of a huff. Um, so that's... That's uh, that's another reason I didn't like this character. And also at the end when he does actually kind of dress up as Clark Kent and go and join the Daily Planet, he's able to do so by doing that Spider-Man thing of Spider-Man going, hey, I took some pictures of Spider-Man. Here you go. You can buy him. He, he does it going, oh yeah, I found Superman and I interviewed him and this is so great. You're going to give me a job, right? And Perry White goes... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can come work for us. So he even kind of cheats with that. Um, so yeah, basically, I, a lot of this story I was held back from liking because I didn't like Superman. I didn't like this take on Clark Kent. And I actually emailed Seven James to kind of ask them like, when it when it comes to established characters, like 
people like Batman or Spider-Man or Superman or Captain America or something like that, is it ever possible for a writer to have a take on them where you don't like the character themselves, but you like the story? Because I think there are lots of characters in fiction, in in popular fiction, uh, you know, comics, movies, books, TV, whatever, where you don't like the protagonist. You actively go, I don't like this guy, but man, is he compelling and do I want to stick with this story? Or like, wow, I really hate her, but I kind of want to see what happens. I think that's possible to do all the time in storytelling. But I wonder whether that is possible when it's a character that is so iconic that you already know so much about that if you introduce a character like Clark Kent, like Superman, and it's a take on the character that you don't like and not that kind of, oh, they've done that with the character and that bothers me because that's not like the version I do like. But when you actively dislike the guy, like I dislike the protagonist in Earth One whether it's then possible to go on and enjoy those stories. And so I don't know, I'd be very interested to hear from any listeners who've kind of read comics or can think of superhero movies maybe where it's a character you know and love elsewhere and you don't really like them here, but you kind of still appreciate the film around it. I mean, maybe Man of Steel is that movie for some people, but I'd say actually that's the opposite in that I kind of like Henry Cavill's Clark Kent. I just don't like the film um but yeah so back to earth one uh, specifically so we kind of get lots of flashes back to origin story stuff of his spaceship crashing and this it kind of reminded me of the aspects that i hate of origin stories but where this the reason for earth one existing i felt reading it was not let's find a fresh take on the superman origin story it will it was that to an extent but it felt a lot to me like it was um, J. Michael Straczynski going, oh, well, why is that thing a part of the origin? And why is that thing? And what? how can I, how could I explain that thing? Rather than just that just being a, a cool thing that happens, how can I tie it in and make it feel relevant and important? Um, and that led to just a bunch of stuff that I didn't, I didn't like and just stuff that I really didn't feel I needed explaining. Um, there was, so after that, and now I've, I'm gonna I've pulled this up. This is my um, favorite bit of dialogue from the comic. Um, after the Kents find the crashed Superman ship um, and kind of take the baby with them, and they realize he's got powers, and they have this conversation. <laughs> Jonathan says, "You know that layabout sister of yours in Chicago, the one we never hear from." Martha probably thinking, hmm, you you maybe didn't need to clarify so much. I mean, she's my sister, but she says, right. And Jonathan says, well, we can say she sent us her kid to raise for her. It's not like she's around to say otherwise. That's very true, Jonathan, Martha says. And I just thought that was the funniest kind of Basil exposition-y stuff in this comic. <laughs> it was just like, why? How do we explain this thing? Well, our audience, here is how we will explain this thing. I mean, it is a retelling of Superman's origin. We, we're probably going to get that unless you want to do a page where someone, like, questions where Clark came from. It's probably not something you need to explain. Um, and I felt that was that was kind of there a lot in this story. There's a... There's a 
basically, the the story culminates with Superman having to out himself and put on the costume for the first time when real aliens this time attack Metropolis and, in fact, attack the world and say they'll murder millions of people if Superman doesn't out himself. And then we learn a new take on the history of Krypton's destruction from um, this alien who is not a Kryptonian but from a planet that was near Krypton and had made a promise that he would wipe out every last Kryptonian, which is why he's on Earth trying to kill Clark. And, like, I I don't, I have no kind of strong feelings one way or the other about them rewriting, the, the story rewriting kind of the history of Krypton's destruction, or various other things like that. I really couldn't care less. I just kind of thought that it was ridiculous that midway through a fight, or midway through this big attack on Metropolis and the world, that the villain was pausing to tell us all of this and fill us in on all of the history lessons. I mean, Birthright does some Kryptonian flashback stuff, but it's actually done quite sweet, uh, quite quite well, and it has a sweet payoff right at the end. Whereas this is just the villain monologuing, and then Superman even calls him out on it, and the villain then explains, why, no, no, there was a reason for me monologuing all along, and then has a kind of deathbed whisper right at the end where he kind of says out loud, but Superman doesn't know this one other thing yet. Um, so, yeah, I ended up not liking uh, a bunch of stuff about this, um, and... Um, I wouldn't say hating. I was terrified when Seb said on the last podcast, he was like, lots of people do like this. You know, it sells pretty well. So I I was thinking, oh, I really hope that this isn't a case where I read it and go, oh no, Seb, I'm one of those people. Uh, Yeah, that that thing that you told me I'd hate, I actually really liked. And uh, we're going to argue again like we did on the Man of Steel episode. Although we kind of didn't. I play Daredevil's Advocate. It's the position I like to play in this podcast. Uh, (laughs) But um, yeah, so so, um, I didn't like this and I did like Birthright. Um, And I would say probably I disliked this as much as I expected to based on Seb's recommendation and liked Birthright a little bit less than I expected to based on Seb's recommendation. Um, I did like it, but not not quite as much as I thought I would. Um, And but yeah, Earth One, I have no interest in reading the following two graphic novels of this. Um, So that's a shame. But um, I'll be honest, I enjoy being recommended comics um, good and bad by Seven James this podcast or n- not even good and bad but just comics that I'm going to enjoy and con- comics that I'm not going to enjoy um, because either way it kind of gives me fresh perspective on on the characters and, and all that kind of stuff. It's the reason I'm doing these minisodes and reading the recommendations in the first place because to be honest it would be very easy for Seven James just to say these are the comics that you'd like to read and me going okay cool Thanks, and they're never doing it. So um, it's nice to do these mini-sides and actually read the things. Um, But that is it for this week, I'm afraid. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be focused on Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. Now, at the moment, it appears that um, we will be attending a screening of the film next Wednesday. So... 
obviously that prevents us from releasing the podcast on Wednesday. We're going to aim to get it for you ideally by Friday, um, or if not, at some point over the weekend. Um, But basically, as soon as we can give you our reactions to Batman v Superman, we will. um, And we are definitely seeing it. So we we have an idea that we're probably going to be able to do it sooner rather than later. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe to the podcast or leave us a review or head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe and support us there. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicmultiverse.com and you can get in touch with us via Facebook, on Twitter at CU underscore podcast or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.